Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of the cinephiles live here on the cinephiles youtube channel i am the outlaw john rook and joined as always by my co-host on the cinephiles the man with the plan the man who does the research and the man who loves to talk about politics with me sometimes and certainly today films and politics are film and politics are certainly slamming into each other in our live discussion today of seven days in may and uh uh fail safe here the great steve morris how are you steve I am good. How are you? I'm. I honestly, I'm a little, still a little bit freaked out. I watched Failsafe for the first time in my life yesterday. Wow, it was a lot of a movie. So, but, but I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna talk about Failsafe in Seven Days in May, as I just mentioned earlier. Steve and I have been talking about talking about these movies for quite some time. We finally kind of hammered it down that we would do it, uh, in this month in February of 2023. And it just happened to kind of coincide with a lot of stuff that's been happening over the last few months. We talk about, you know, Putin and Russia and the Ukrainian battle there. And we talk, we just got that uh, China spy balloon shot down. And then we heard there were possibly three other <coughs> China spy balloons that have rolled through the Trump during the Trump administration, which, of course, they've pushed back on and said didn't happen. Uh, you know, feel how that, however that uh, about that as you wish. And then also recently we passed um, the uh, one-year anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, and we see people getting put in jail. We see people still going to trial. We see some people who were involved in it serving in the U.S. Senate, which is really crazy. And both of these films have to do with elements of all of those things, with Failsafe having to do with some technological issues possibly causing World War III and what a president would have to do in a situation like that, uh, and you know, dealing with Russia and trying to figure out what the middle ground is there, and Seven Days in May, which deals with a military-led coup attempt um, uh, to take over the uh, to, to take out the president and take over the United States. So a very intense film, Steve, starring some phenomenal actors up and down the cast lists. So what are your thoughts? Just starting off. Uh, with uh, uh, about these two movies well the the one th thing i want to i want to add to your list of crazy things going on in the world that relates to these films sure and that is the rise of ai yes that, great point in, in the last no two months yeah. yeah in the last two months we've had this huge step forward in ai and failsafe in particular is about yeah. how much do we trust the machines to take care of important stuff right <clears throat> and so um i think 
what's so crazy to me, by the way, mm-hmm. is a that both of these movies came out in the same year. Yes. That B failsafe and Doctor Strangelove come out in the same year. Well, there's and a that, great story behind that, by the way, which we're going to get into with failsafe. But yes, go oh, ahead. Can't wait. And then, and then that I had never in my life seen Failsafe, and you had never seen Seven Days in May, and that's yes. sort of how all of this kind of came along. Yeah, is like, well, let's let's jump into the Cold War movies together, um, and yeah. and they are both scary, yes. and so different in terms of style, mm-hmm. emotionally super different. Um, yeah, I, I, it was it was really fun watching them back to back for me. Well, two fantastic directors as well. Well, I mean, yes, I would say fantastic. I mean, I think John Frankenheimer certainly has done some uh, some damn good political movies. If you look at the original Manchurian Candidate and this film, Seven Days in May, and then when you look at Failsafe, that's Sidney Lumet still in the, now, for lack of a better term, nascent stages or nascent stages yeah. of his career as well as a film director. So both uh, really well-directed films that were released in the 60s and we're topic in the same year, by the way, 1964. Both of these films, um, as you mentioned, Doctor Strangelove uh, being in the same film. So clearly, this was a time when this um, fear of what might happen in the world was becoming more and more predominant uh, within the American community. Right? We just um, experienced John Kennedy's assassination literally less than a year before these films had come out. Um, we had the Bay of Pigs situation. With Kennedy and Cuba, we'd had the Khrushchev situation with the Cuban Missile Crisis. So all this stuff was, was was very much in our minds. We were constructing drills for kids to start doing uh, in their classrooms if there was a nuclear bomb to go off. So this was very much something that people were aware of and were in constant fear of that persisted all the way up until the, the Berlin Wall came down uh, in the 90s. So... Um, yeah, just really incredible how people sometimes, and like I saw a tweet uh, earlier this week, Steve, it drove me insane. Some critic, some young critic tweeting out what black and white movies still matter nowadays. Let me know which ones I should watch. And I, I almost lost my motherfucking mind because I could have gone on on a 40 to 50 tweet thread full, uh, 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 you know, full each tweet full of black and white movies that people still need to watch because as you said, with the advent of AI now happening now and, and taking these leaps and bounds, which people think I'm crazy for, but I'm telling you, it's going to fucking happen. And seeing the seeing the um, uh, topical nature of something like fail safe that we've relied so much on our machines. We were literally recording this on a machine for people to watch. We relied so much on these machines that we sometimes take our foot off the gas and our foot off the brake and want the machines to do the work for us. And in the end, that could be what ends up costing us. So to start with, because there was a lot, there's a lot of stuff there. As there always this, is when I go this, on my things, which I apologize so, always to Steve for. Yes. I, <laughs> if I didn't enjoy a Roka rant, <laughs> I would not have signed up for this job. Fair um, so, but to, just to go back to the dude that doesn't wants to know about black and white no, movies. and It was a female them. critic. It was a female critic. So the dudette. <laughs> dudette, um, yeah. So just to go back to that, can, can you imagine someone saying like, are there any books that were written before 1970 that I should read? <laughs> like, it is the stupidest. It's saying that it's saying that art wasn't great art, you know. Yeah, right, like right. it's saying it's saying that the you know if you go and read I don't know you go and read Hemingway or I just read in my on my quest to read every book I've ever purchased on Audible the most recent tough book 
was David Copperfield. Oh. And, you know, that's a book that was written a couple hundred, almost 200 years ago. And yeah. that's a damn good book. The idea yeah. that only since 1970 did artists figure out how to do things that were re relevant to the human condition right. is absolutely fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Black and white films are beautiful, and that person shouldn't call themselves a critic. So that, that's my that's my rant. There are quite a lot it. of <clears throat> there are quite a lot of critics uh, who are younger critics nowadays who don't go back and watch the classics and think it's. Um, uh, ridiculous to go and think they're just as viable to analyze something when you don't understand that these are the films that influence the filmmakers that you want to laud today and talk about and write great articles and record long ass videos about they're influenced by the classic films so why wouldn't you want to go back and watch these films to understand the influences of these filmmakers that you admire so much and why their films are so good because of the influence of these filmmakers you, you know what, and, and obviously this is off the topic, so we'll, I'll, I'll make it really yeah, quick, yeah, yeah. is there's a difference between what I think you and I try to do on the cinephiles, yeah, which right. is to go deeply and explore in depth, in detail, with great understanding, and to teach even about a film, right. and what a lot of people think a movie critic's job is, which is to go, I liked it. Yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah. Like, just what is your emotional reaction? You don't have to know anything to have that reaction. And you have exactly. your reaction yeah. and you say right. it. And that's, and you know what? And I'm sure some of those people are great and they're funny and they're entertaining or their taste match with yours. And that's totally fine. Right. But I'm not interested in it. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. Um, as, as far as these films, it is what particularly like if we're starting with failsafe is like the thing to remember, those bombs still exist, man. Yeah, they're still there. Like we, you, you and I grew up in the world of the Cold War. I'm sure you walked, saw bomb shelters. I'm sure oh, you, 100%. you know, did the drills and you know all that stuff. And we act now like okay, there's no Soviet Union anymore, so we're cool. And it's like, no, mo yeah. they have dismantled some bombs. There's still plenty of bombs to blow up the entire planet. They yeah. still exist. And now, you know, if we're worrying about technology, we're worrying about new technology like AI. This is all 50-year-old technology yeah. that's been yeah. sitting there, you know, so the chances of something breaking down go up and up. So the, there's still real good reasons to be scared of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what we should uh, say this about the film, because some of you may be joining us who haven't seen uh, Failsafe or Seven Days in May, which is totally fine. And we're going to ruin or spoil it, not ruin it, spoil it. So if, if that is an issue for you, we apologize ahead of time. But if you want to keep listening and watching, we appreciate that very much but basically the premise of failsafe is um there's just there's these uh, uh drills that are run by the american government there with having these fighters who mobilize and run these kind of training drills well under a uh, under the watchful eye of the uh, of the military there back uh, on uh, american soil they uh, receive a signal and then there's some russian radio communication interference that doesn't allow them to rescind the signal because the signal in essentially indicates that these fighter pilots should go forward and attack Moscow with nu nuclear weapons. And so it becomes a race against time to try to pull the fighters back within the military and the president, who's played so well by Henry Fonda, who is trying to communicate with the Russian uh, leader there to get him to understand what is happening. And we see so many things occurring within this movie that I think is genius. It's not just let's stop the bombers from, from destroying Moscow. It's military versus military. The hawkish 
versus the more level-headed military people. It is people within the government wondering what is the right choice. Do we kill American pilots or do we not kill American servicemen? What do we do? And then the decision by the president in order to appease the Russian premier and not launch a full-out nuclear war that would essentially decimate every country on the, on the planet, he orders the bombing of New York City. An American president ordering the bombing, nuclear bombing, of one of the, of one of the biggest cities and one of the greatest cities, arguably, uh, in the country in order to balance out Moscow, Moscow being destroyed because of a mistake on the American side and an unknowing mistake on the Russian side. So, so much is explored throughout this movie that I think is just fascinating to look at. And when you watch it nowadays, is quite believable that could happen, as you mentioned, Steve, earlier about AI and technology. So I want to start at the end because, yeah. and, and this, is the, this is a first on the cinephiles. Yeah. This is the first time that I do kind of feel bad about spoiling that ending because <laughs> even though it's a 60 year old movie and we I warned them, everything, I warned them. Yeah, yeah. but I got to tell you, yeah. I didn't know that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I, it was unspoiled for me. And the Good. fact that you get there just when they bring up the idea, because yeah. what, what we're talking about here is because it's just like strange love, which I've seen many times, right. which is the president's calling the Russian premier to tell them that this horrible thing is happening and yeah. trying to convince the premier you know, to believe them. And unlike strange love, the premiere is not drunk and it's all happening in, in social, in sober earnest. And the way, the method that the president uses to convince him after everything else is if we drop a bomb on Moscow, we will drop a bomb on our, our bomb on New York. And that will avert the war because now you will believe I bombed my own city. That's how, honest i'm being with you and how much i want to avoid the war and it is shocking it it is shocking to me that like at the end of the movie that i'm like holy shit that's what they did yeah and 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 that that is so that's why i say i'm still freaked out by it you know (laughs) you know when it speaks volumes about what this kind of power and look oppenheimer is coming out in just a few months and supposedly that's going to really explore what that whole process was like and the emotional toll that took on everybody and the psychological toll and the mental toll that took on everybody uh because when they realized the implications of what they had created uh and so what we see here in the film in the film and again by the way this is in the like early stages of when this thing was legitimately a fear uh nuclear war was legitimately a fear throughout the 60s um uh and and that time and so what you've got here though is the exploration of what having that kind of power does to people and elicits from people both in the military and on the civilian side of things because you need to mention walter Matthau, who does a really incredible job as that uh, scientist in the movie who is not a military guy he's a civilian but in his mind he thinks we need to be even more hawkish which is incredible even more um uh uh, more warlike more warmongering in our approach to the russians right let them die as kirk once said about the klingons he's essentially that kind of point of view and he uses how um the jewish people were abused by the nazis as an example and he's called out by the other military guys like this is incredible that you're a civilian and you're more hawkish than i am as a military man because he sees it as a show of strength and when he hears 
that the president wants to bomb Moscow, about, sorry, bomb New York, his own people. That is one of the greatest quiet no's I've ever heard in my entire life in any of the films. And Walter Matha does an excellent job of showcasing how this kind of intelligentsia can remove the empathy you need to feel of the fact that millions of people or hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of people will die as a result of a nuclear attack. So first of all, this is a Mathau I had never seen. Yes, like Because yep. I'm used to, you know, older Mathau. I'm used to odd couple Mathau. I'm used mm -hmm. to quirky character actor Mathau. This guy was chillingly calm. Yeah. And and it's funny. This is something we talked about when we did Strange Love, which is this isn't bullshit. This kind of person. Oh, yeah. They're no, totally referencing. There's a I know we, we when we did uh, Strange Love, we talked about this idea of game theory and this guy, Johnny Von Neumann, who is one of the great scientists who helped develop the computer. And then he ends up at the Rand Corporation. and He develops this idea of game theory, which is the prisoner's dilemma, which we won't go into what it's all about. But basically, their math, his mathematical scientific conclusion yeah. is that the most reasonable strategy is a first strike against Russia. Yes. Is that we're just going to, because it's so dangerous, we can't trust them. If they strike us first, we won't be able to retaliate. If we strike them first, we might be able to stop them from mostly retaliating. Yeah. And even though we'd kill millions and millions of people, that would be the best. And this was an argument happening at this time yep. consistently. And the idea of it, the, it is just mind-boggling to me, and particularly his use of Nazi Germany yes. and the, the killing of six million Jews as his justification to kill a hundred million people. Yeah, is terrifying. Well, I also think, and I also think this is uh, yet another example of why these classic films are so important to revisit and put in your resume of uh, films that you've seen because this is intelligent. Um, Screenplay. This is an intelligent screenplay that is constantly challenging you and showing you the different points of views and in a way that you, you're almost understanding or sympathetic. Um, one of our viewers now just said there's a lot of exposition at the beginning, but by the end I was glued to my set watching the movie. And that's understandable. There is a lot of exposition because a lot of us don't know what's going on at those higher levels of security and government and military uh, stuff. Um, so having him explain all that stuff to us lays the groundwork for us so that by the time we get to everything starting to fall apart in the last 40 minutes of the film, you're absolutely riveted to the set. Absolutely. And that's what's great about this kind of stuff. You know, the screenplay by Walter Bernstein adopted, adapted from the novel by Eugene Burdick and Harvey Wheeler. And, <clears throat> and I, I, I keep going back as a guy who served in the military for eight years. To me, the military stuff was really engrossing seeing the one general who understands that this is incredibly dangerous. They need to shoot down their own men or, or have their own men exhaust their uh, fuel and afterburners in order to at least make an attempt. They're not going to get there in time, but make an attempt to try to stop this plane uh, or these uh, six uh, fighter jets rather from dropping these bombs. And then in the end, you have another military man who has served with him who essentially attempts a mini coup in oh, yeah. the uh, in, in the room there by physically attacking the other guy won't give information to the Russians when it when they when the president demands that the military work with the Russians to help shoot down that plane so all these Russians don't die he is convinced the other military guy the, the colonel he is convinced 
that this is a trick by the Russians, uh, by you know, and that they're uh, trying to make us scramble our fighter jets to make our defenses weaker so they can attack us. And there are people in the military who 100% believe that all our enemies are much more sneakier than we give them credit for. And we see that come to fruition in this uh, in that in that scene in 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 the room there uh steven his absolute convulsion at being unable to reveal the secrets shows you how deep his dedication and loyalty is in his mind to his country that it would absolutely physically shut him down before he'd ever surrender a secret about the military it's insane well and and what's crazy to me just on a more humorous note, yeah. is that the guy that ends up coming in to give the secrets when he can't do it is Dom DeLuise. <laughs> a, young, was... a young Dom DeLuise, yes. I was like, is that Dom DeLuise? He does Dom's a great a... job because he is so pained surrendering and the secrets. Yeah. And by the end, he's ashamed, you know, as a military man. It's incredible I... how it's done. A, I found that totally convincing because this is happening really fast. Yes. And for someone, and of course, there's going to be someone in the military who is absolutely going you know this is life and death shit yeah. and literally the end of new york city so the idea that someone would stand up to fight back against some of the things that are happening makes perfect sense right i also think that it was so interesting that we go and see his family life briefly and how messed up it is yeah at the beginning of the movie and that's that is right so yes with his two with his um uh parents drunk, yeah, yeah, yeah drunk parents that that is such a weird and it was funny too i there's so many thoughts and one of them just on based on that scene and in a lot of ways the way this whole movie is filmed yeah is that i think you know we always talk about the influences of the french new wave and all these things that create 70s filmmakers yeah sydney lamette is part of the origin of 70s filmmaking yes like yeah this 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 movie is stylistically so weird yeah. and intense from the opening bullfighting dream to going to that weird place with that guy's family yeah. and then the fact that the president and Larry Hagman are just alone and as it, right behind you right now yeah. are just alone in this room. There's nobody else there. And so the movie has stylistically all these different visual things that are going on. It's very intense the way it happens. And I, and I want to go back just for a moment to mm -hmm. Walter Matthau and some of the attitudes, the more hawk like attitudes. Yeah, because. This isn't just about the Russians. As soon as you start, one of the first steps that you need before you can go to war is to dehumanize the other side. Absolutely. They, they don't value life the way we value life. Right. And, I, and we've heard that about the Afghanis. We've heard that about Vietnamese. We've heard that about immigrants. We've heard that about that yeah. somehow they don't value life. And one of the things that I loved is after that moment happens with the colonel losing it, we're talking to the Russians and the Russians say, the Russian general says, I understand we've had similar things happen here. Yeah. Is that yeah. they're just as scared and just as, you know, going through the exact same thought process about the Cold War and about nuclear war as we are. Yes. And this movie, it, and that is the argument that Walter Matthau is making that is not true because right. he thinks they're not because they're all monsters. You know, right. And as you said, there are a lot of people who believe that who've never spent a day studying another culture or being immersed in another culture or speaking with people from another culture, what that experience is like, because they don't want to know. They want to 100 percent just believe what they believe and screw anything else from breaking through those blinders and America, America, America. And I think that's always a crime. It's not about being a globalist or any of that nonsense they come up with. It's a matter of understanding we're all human beings. 
we've all been raised and essentially indoctrinated in all our countries to believe our way of life is the best uh, way of life. You know, now is that the right, correct thing in every country? No, but that's what people have been, you know, kind of forced to believe or kind of indoctrinated to believe. And even now, you know, I don't want to, again, I don't want to get too political, but these are political films. We're trying to remove teaching what happened in our past in the civil rights era, what happened in our past before the civil rights era, all these terrible things that we did to Native Americans, to black people, all things that we did in our country. There are a large segment of the populace that wants to remove that knowledge from being taught in schools because they, uh, how can I say this? They unintel they ignorantly think that that is somehow corrupting people's uh, opinion about America. And Again, it's this idea of wanting to construct a reality so that nothing gets in. And I love that it's that colonel who is having this convulsion, being unable to tell the secrets about the planes, who is coming from this broken family life. Because there's almost a sympathy there, Steve, for me, because to him, this is order. For once in his right. life of chaos, this is order. To betray that order would destroy him from the inside out, because that's a that's a foundational construction of who he is as a person. And so when he's being dragged away and he's screaming, you're a traitor, you're worse than all of them, the whole, the body wilting down and being dragged away by the MPs, there's so much symbolism in all of that that I think is yeah, speaking uh, volumes. Because not only that, real quick, the fact that it comes from a poor family, in essence, that's where the military recruits a lot of people from, from poor families saying, hey, you can make money, you can have a job, you can, 20 years, you'll get a pension. And a lot of poor people go into the military or who don't have a lot of options from small towns go into the military because there's a possible future there. And they take advantage of that. Having been in it for eight years, I can tell you that. So these are the things that are coming through and the film is working on multiple levels that I think is fascinating when you watch and analyze it. Well, and I think too, the there, there is a classic hypocrisy hmm. that, that frequently people don't see or don't choose to see yeah. which is the we think the russians or whoever the bad guys are are evil monsters right and we as proof of that we list some of the shitty things that they do right and then we say in order to protect ourselves from the evil monsters we have to get our hands dirty and do some shitty things yes. and then we do and do a bunch of shitty things now i'm not going to say which which you know superpower during the cold war did the most shitty things right but we were overturning uh you know governments installing dictators oh, there sure. was torture and all sorts of things going on around the world which is a perfect motivation for the russians to now list all the shitty things that we do in order to justify all their shitty things of course of course i mean we installed um hussein saddam hussein yep. and what happened we had to go back and take him out later on because of all the things that were going on. We have done that in numerous countries, as you said, and that has led to the situations where a lot of these countries have this kind of hatred or, or, or um, distaste for the American foreign policy, you know? And so that's coming through here in this movie as well, these conversations about, and we're really going to get into that in seven days in May, but here in Failsafe, it's touched on this approach of how they do things. Another element to the film that I think is fascinating, Steve, we should talk about is how this dialogue between the Russian president <clears throat> or the Russian leader, I should say, and the president is handled here in conversation, you know, because Walter Matthau is in essence kind of correct in a roundabout way where he said, where he posits that if we let the bombs hit Moscow, that will debilitate the Russians 
and we will and they they their natural belief will be destroyed because they think if they are just staying the course communism will take over the entire world but if we let this uh bombing happen it'll change their point of view and they'll come to us uh on bended knee whereas what you see is this uh, the russian leader is just he's he wants to believe the president he very much wants to believe the president he just is is his hands are tied because he has to do something to defend the russian people and in the mad scramble of things one of those fighters does get through because of the rapidity with which everything is happening and the miscommunication that happens and so now the russian president has that conversation with president bell bombing new york so it's it's a fascinating um film that it's a fascinating thing that explores this relationship between a russian president and the president himself what did you think about all of that that whole scene as you mentioned in the room well the 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 first the first thing just on uh walter Matthau and his predictions predictions are uh almost always wrong like our (laughs) our predictions about Oh yeah, the war in Iraq is going to be easy. They'll oh yeah, no, us, two you weeks know, like yeah, right. yeah, and 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 we were right in terms of the military part of that war not being a tough war. That yeah. was correct. Yeah. All our predictions about what was going to happen after, and the same in Afghanistan, the same in Vietnam, yeah. are not correct. Like, and because you limit, you know, human beings down to this really small thing. As far as what's going on, first of all, I wrote down as I, as I was watching it, man, Henry Fonda is one of my favorite movie presidents. Yes. I mean, oh guy, my God. Yes. Yeah. That guy is nerves of steel, <laughs> calm as hell in the worst circumstances. I thought Larry Hagman was amazing. Yeah. Uh, to be and and imagine that gig, like this is one of the great movie stars, and it's just going to be you and him in a room. Yeah. That that's a lot, and I think one of the things I really loved was him saying to uh, Buck, Larry Hagman's character. You're the translator. I want you need to listen to every nuance of their expression because I won't know. And you're going to hear if they're stressed, if they're lying, if they're afraid, if they're I I thought that was a really interesting idea. And what I what I loved about it was it was so the opposite of what Mathau had said the character of the Russians were. Right. They were just as desperate to protect their people and desperate and really wanting to trust. Yes. To find a way to trust. Yeah. I, I I think, you know, I know it's it's cheesy, but I have such a strong memory of when the Sting song, If the Russians Love Their Children Too, yes. came out. And to me, that. yeah, that was the whole thing, you yeah. know, of like, these are people, they don't, nobody wants nuclear war. And that we f- felt compelled to just build and build and build all these bombs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, humans are, there's not, there is no guarantee we're surviving forever. You know, and 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 creating a whole bunch of ways for us all to kill ourselves it's really dumb yeah and that's that's the thing that i think is you know um spoken about so well in the movie what this power the responsibility of this power the responsibility of what this means do you know what i'm saying they're having that conversation uh and doesn't walter matha say well you should speak to the civilians uh from all these different places that have been bombed during world war ii you know to to, to think how what they think about it and he says something really interesting he says something when he talks about we're not going to speak about nagasaki hiroshima because that's world war three type situation that he's talking about the future will be this what you saw that's just a taste of what you of what we think the future world war three will be like and it's been what everyone's been afraid of you know we've heard world war three being bandied about ever since um 
the uh, Russia versus Ukraine battle started a few months ago, the idea that people use to scare everybody for their political purposes is that World War Three is around the corner because of this war or if we don't do anything about this war, you know, so it's just a fascinating thing that people have on the tip of their minds. And this idea that nuclear weapons are still in play in all of this, you know. One of the other things that that really struck me watching the movie is mm. the the good and the bad of duty of yes of right. the soldier, you know. Yeah. Like these are my because because you know I know that when they would put someone in the silo or put someone on one of these you know bombers that yeah. they would have to pass a psychological test that said that they would really go through and do this thing. And of course, right. you know, you served in the military. Following orders is a big part of serving in the military. You want your soldiers to follow follow orders, 100%. and yet in this moment, that honorable captain, yes, following his orders, Captain Black, is killing. Uh, yeah, no, the captain. Right, I'm sorry, Colonel Grady, who was the was, Colonel Grady, who was yeah. flying the plane. Yeah, and then, but then you also have Blackie, who is this unbelievable yeah. sentimental character. Yeah, he's also following orders and doing a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. But maybe a necessary, horrible, horrible thing. And he kills himself in the process because of the utter shame he feels of what he's going, of what he's doing. And of course, we have that dream sequence at the beginning, and he ends up that being that coming around full circle by the end of the movie. Yeah, where he realizes that the matador is him destroying that bull. You know, and so it's just the, the images at the end. I mean, I think this was, you know, of course, if this came out nowadays, it, you know, there's a certain section of the populace who'd be screaming this liberal hollywood trying to tell you how terrible america is we would never bomb our own people all that nonsense but i think the end of the film really carries power seeing the images of these people and knowing or not knowing that the nuclear bomb is coming and i think that um it may have been played for a little bit of emotion but i think it it earned it by the end of the movie to have a uh, on the nose type thing at the end of the film to show you that all this beautiful life in New York can be absolutely destroyed at a moment's notice. And that the president of the United States did it. You know, I mean, what I can't even imagine what the congressional hearing for that's going to be, Steve. I mean, can you even imagine? I mean, he'd probably be impeached within months for making that decision. And that's the crazy part of it all, because he sacrificed in essence himself, what he thinks in his mind, sacrificing his political career and the lives of all these people in order to save the lives of everyone else on the planet, right? So the, the old Star Trek thing, the Spock thing, right? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. In that moment, he is choosing the needs of the many over the needs of the few in a horrific way, in a tragic way, uh, but in a poignant way for a film that's been set up to be kind of, how do I say it, very technological in a devoid of emotion. That moment really brings it all home and then you're locked in for the rest of the film all the way to the end. So first of all, I, I love the way Lumet handles it. And if, yes. if some filmmaker making it today would to show a big nuclear explosion and lots of special effects, it would suck. Yes, it I would agree. just suck. <laughs> I also think it, the, the, it's so funny because we talk about, again, that it's the 70s films where you see the effects of the French New Wave. Yeah. I think you see the French New Wave in both Seven Days in May and Fail Safe. Yeah, I think yeah. they're both films are influenced by that in different ways. That That sequence of kind of stills at the end is one of the, French new wavy sort of moments for Great me. Point. Yes. You're um, right. um, and I also think uh, you, there's this line in uh, Frank Miller's dark Knight returns where they're talking about Batman yeah. and, and 
and they say, well, how do you deal with them? And he, and Gordon says, this reminds me of something I read years after World War II about FDR, that he knew that they had broken the code and knew that the Japanese were going to bomb Pearl Harbor and let him do it because Roosevelt believed that that was necessary to get them into the war. Hmm. And, and this person talking to Gordon says, well, what did you think about that? And he said, I went round and round and finally decided it was just too big. He's too big. And that was his metaphor for Batman. I can't make a moral judgment. That's how I felt about the end of failsafe. Yeah. Like the end of failsafe, when, when, when first he suggests the idea, I'm like, holy shit, you can't do that. And yeah. then when the movie is heading, I'm like, holy shit, they're really going to do that. Yeah. And I can't say it's the wrong decision because it probably killing whatever 10 million people in Moscow in New York, including his wife, by the way, including his wife, his own wife. Well, and Blackie's family that he Blackie's bought, family. They were, right. they're in New York too, that doing that probably did save tens of millions of people. Yeah. But can I go therefore it's the right decision? I think he absolutely should be impeached. You know what I mean? Right, because, right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like he, he should be put on trial for this. Yeah. But I don't know that there's any, I mean, it's a heroic and terrible decision. It's, it's, yeah. it's really a haunting ending to a film. Yeah. There's a great line we're going to get to in the next film where frederick marsh is the president says you know harry truman had this phrase the buck stops here and the buck in essence stopped there for henry fonda he had to make that decision and the thing is it's fascinating to watch henry play this character because henry is such a composed almost laid-back actor but there is so much going on that is just radiating off of him even though his energy is more relaxed and when he's in that room with which i thought was great to make it a sparse room as you see behind me somewhat lit little noirish in the lighting to have them back and forth from the dark into the light from the light into the dark i thought was really great and you know what's what struck me too steve is kind of an aside it's a shame that larry hagman ended up on i dream of genie because like yes it's a great successful show and he made the money whatever but this was a fucking good actor man you yeah. know and, and like darren in in the inherit the wind that actor he i think they're good actors but you know you got to find your way wherever you can but larry had that intensity and that steel and of course he ended up being on dallas so great but i think you know if the cards had gone a certain way he might have had a really great future in movies because there is a real mix there's a there's a lot of levels he's playing with as this character and in the back and forth when they're not on the mic or not on the phone with the russian president there's a lot that comes through in terms of the chemistry and the talent between him and Henry Fonda that I think is so much fun to explore, as you mentioned earlier. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I, yeah. I'm, I'm reminded as I was watching uh, Fonda's performance, yeah. and I think it was Lamette who said this. I don't think, because we've had I, two Fonda movies previously. One is 12 Angry Men and the other yes. is Rapes of Wrath. Right. And I don't, but I think this was, was something that was said in 12 Angry Men, which is I think Lumet said that Henry Fonda is incapable of lying on camera. <laughs> is that if Henry Fonda says it, it's the truth. Right. You know, and I think that's so critical to this. I'm just saying what's right. It's right. like the fact that he's li literally is making the decision to kill his wife oh never God. enters in on his face. Right. He's like, this is what must be done. And this is how we're going to do it. You yeah. know, I, I think there is a question of who's making this decision. And he's, uh, earlier in the film about shooting on the, the fighter pilots and the president asks who makes that decision and the general tells him you do mr president and 
it comes across his face that he's understanding yep. the scope of what he's going to have to do and what new level he has now found himself thrust into as a president and the decisions he has to make. Um, we should hit the cast a little bit. We've mentioned, we've talked all around. We've, Walter Matthau, certainly fantastic in the film. Henry Fonda's going to mention Dan O'Herlihy, for those of you who've seen the film, that is the old man who's in charge of Oscor, or not Oscor, um, oh God, what is it? In, in Robocop, he is the old man who is in charge of the company oh. in Robocop. That is Dan O'Herlihy. Um, who uh, tells him, you know, Dick Jones, that old situation. Uh, Edward Bins, who is uh, uh, Colonel Grady, who's the one who rejects all the attempts to tell him to stop, even from his wife, which is a beautifully acted scene and harrowing. Um, that is juror number six from 12 Angry Men. So great to see him being part of another Sidney Lament movie. And I have a, a trivia question for you, Steve. Frank Overton, who plays General Bogan, what Star Trek original series episode was he on? Oh, crap. I should know this. <laughs> I don't know. Did. And the name is totally oh, familiar. Oh. And I'm going to kick myself when you, <laughs> you just did a whole podcast breaking down the original series. So I thought you might have it on the tip of your tongue. I thought you would know it, but uh, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, do you do you do you know it? Do you not know it? Uh, I don't you, know. Do you, you want to come around to it? What do you think? No, just tell me and I'll, I can I can just feel dumb. <laughs> this side of paradise. Oh, yep, yep. It's, he's uh he's the main guy. Yes. Um, what's his name? Uh, I don't remember. But yes, now that you say that, that is him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember. It was the last thing he did before he died of a heart attack. Um, in April of April twenty fourth, the same year, forty nine years old. Forty nine years old. Someone posted that there should be a Roka Steve Scott three way battle of Star Trek <laughs> trivia, and I'm like, I'll lose. I'll lose, please. Yeah. I'll lose. to Mance. I will fucking yeah. lose. It's not even a question. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was a a, a great bunch of ta- oh, and also the um, secretary who was the bald, smaller secretary is uh, Caesar Rodney from 1776. Thought that's who that was. Yeah, William yeah. Hanson, and of course we talked about Larry Hagman already. And for those of you. Who are Dukes of Hazard fans? If you've seen the failsafe, the bald senator with the glasses—that is Sorel Book, who plays Boss Hog in the uh, oh, senator, sorry, congressman in the in the glasses, who they try to kick out of the room, and he's like, "You can't get me home to my family in time, and I got nowhere else to go if it's going to all fall apart." So I'm staying in the damn room. That is uh, uh, Boss Hog from. Uh, um, uh, from the Dukes of Hazard, and as Steve mentioned, the, the sergeant there, Dom DeLuise, coming in to give the information. So, any final words on this one, Steve, before we move on to seven days in May? Anything I didn't hit that you want to touch on, or anything I, else we should discuss? I would say two things. Okay. One is is that I love this. Just again, going back to should we watch old movies? Is that this is a thrilling, exciting movie that is about something that yeah. makes you think and forces you to, you know, and this is obviously about serious stuff. I also think it's interesting that when Kubrick tried to make a serious movie about nuclear war, they just kept laughing, which is why yeah. strange love went from being a serious film, which is what it was originally going to be to a comedy. Yeah. And I think that it's so interesting as the ends of the movie are so similar in a weird way right. is that at the end of strange love, you go like, man, aren't hum humans are just stupid. We are too stupid to live. Like that's, <laughs> And at the end of Failsafe, I was just shocked and in pain. And, yeah. and, and you know what? 
I think we did part of why we did this was we really wanted to get to them. There's yeah. no question Failsafe can be a full Cinephiles movie someday because at some point down the sure. It sure. certainly deserves it. Yeah, for sure. And a little bit of um uh, oh, is that was that everything, Steve? Just want to make sure. That was everything. Okay, a little bit of background on the movie here. Uh, I know Stu, Steve usually handles this, but I'm gonna throw this in here. Um, Failsafe uh, and Doctor Strange Love were produced at the same time after the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, but Failsafe closely resembled resembled Peter George's novel Red Alert, which is what Doctor Strange Love was based on. So Kubrick and Peter George filed a copyright infringement lawsuit against failsafe the case was settled out of court and the result was that columbia pictures which had financed and was distributing dr strange love now had to buy failsafe so that they could put it out and be in control of it but that um dr strange love had to come out first and then months later you could drop failsafe so hollywood baby hollywood i wonder what lumet thought of strange love oh i didn't look that up actually I could, I'm sure he's got a comment or two yeah. about that for sure. Um, but we shall see. Um, uh, we did get a stream lab that came through here from Wayne Edwards. Wayne, thank you so much. What an incredible uh, donation for us. He said, thank you so much for doing this. Failsafe is an excellent film in my top 10. Wow. Yeah. I saw this film on a late Saturday night on CBS as a kid. Blew my mind. As powerful as the tension in the story is, it is buoyed by the humanity shown by the characters yeah 100 percent, steve i hope we hit on that enough in the in the yeah. year 45 minutes we've been discussing this a lot of humanity in these characters as they're grappling with this thing as you said that is bigger than they can possibly conceive other than the president having to make that decision absolutely i 100 percent agree okay. um uh the, you know there's one thing one other scene i wanted to comment on oh uh, sure just briefly which is the weirdest scene to me in the movie, which okay. is Walter Matthau in the car with the woman. Yeah. That is some weird stuff that's going on. I, I think it's meant to unsettle you, you know, yeah. because he's aggressive. So a war hawk, it's meant to kind of, it's meant to kind of underlying underline the foundation of him that he is ruthless and a bit of a, a bit of cold towards humanity. So therefore his um theories and his predictions are based on the fact that he cannot make those normal kind of human connections at least that's how he took that scene other than the sexism and the well um, and to me level of physical uh, uh violence so to speak that occurs between him and the woman it, it, it is it is really an odd scene and to me it's like she is clearly or the implication seems to be that she is turned on by the idea of nuclear war yes like that's and that what's interesting is that he Toy, toys with her isn't the right word exactly but it seems like he is enjoying the that turn on from her up right. to a certain point and then just coldly rejects her yeah it, it is a weird and it's funny because and maybe this is a good uh segue into seven days in may really both these movies take a while to get going you yes. know yeah. they're, they're they're kind of laying a lot of groundwork giving you a lot of information you're kind of going, why am I with this person and why am I watching this thing? And then it all, they, they both, for me, all click together, yeah. you know, at a very specific moment. Understood. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. JMB says, hey, Steve Roca, Sterling Jones says the Streamlabs don't seem to be working at the moment. You guys always do such wonderful work. Thanks for the live show. Well, Wayne Edwards got through, so it is working. Uh, I'm not sure why it wouldn't be working. Um, 
So I'm sorry, Sterling, if you're not getting through, maybe there's an issue with what you're using, what card you're using or how you're doing it. I'm not sure. Um, uh, but if your stuff does get through, let us know. And, and I will absolutely uh, read it when we when 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 I see it. So um, certainly, cool. Sterling, I had been meaning to talk to you about your credit rating. And there's <laughs> actually some uh, the IRS has contacted the cinephiles Don't. and. <laughs> Don't put that out in the universe. Uh, anyway, um, uh, all right. Well, let's take. Do you want to take a quick break for the podcast situation, or are we good to just move on to the next thing? Would well, we can easy? say we can okay. say, and now we're going to take a short break, which we almost never say things like that. But <laughs> now we're going to take a short break. Yeah. Well, now we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back to talk about Seven Days in May right after this. Let's Plus, jump into this next film here. Uh, seven Days in May. This one, as we said, also coming out in 1964. This one directed by John Frankenheimer, based on the novel from Fletcher Neville and Charles W. Bailey II. And this one, screenplay by Rod Sterling. Yes, Twilight Zone's Rod Sterling. Pretty incredible. This one stars Burt Lancaster, Kirk Douglas, Ava Gardner near the tail end of her career, a great Frederick March, Edmund O'Brien, Martin Balsam, Andrew Dugan, Hugh Marlowe, uh, Whit Bissell, and Richard Anderson, who some of you may know as as, uh, the Colonel from uh, uh from the six million dollar man who's in this as well so a lot to get into with this movie steve your overall thoughts so this is the one that you had seen right a number right. of times uh so please you take it away on this i've always liked it what's so funny is that it, it has nowhere near the intensity of failsafe like mm. it, this is more to me i think i think failsafe is like the I- emotional intense one and this one's yeah, yeah, more yeah. intellectual this one's more about loyalty this one's more about the you know solving the mystery and it's also and what's interesting to me the all the times that i had watched it before this there had never been an attempted coup in the united states yeah and watching it this time there has yeah Yeah, yeah, and if there are people out there who don't think there was an attempted coup you are welcome to your incorrect opinion (laughs) fair enough fair enough um, what did you think of it, seeing it for your first time? I tell you, I I initially, when we first chatted about it the other day, I thought I had I was only about twenty or thirty minutes in the movie, and I was like, ah, this is a little slow. And as a person who's lived, who's been in the military, some of the stuff I'm like, ah, would that happen? But once Kirk Douglas understands what's happening, the film absolutely goes to a whole nother place. And this is quietly one of the best acting performances I've ever seen from Kirk Douglas. You know, usually Kirk is like, I'm the star, you know, and and he makes it very clear. It's a very understated performance that he delivers here. And it's all in his eyes. And I think Frankenheimer understood if I keep that camera close to his face, this guy's going to give me everything I need to, to, to have to show the internal struggle he is having um, where his opinion on this treaty, which is the, the basis of all this happening, this treaty correlates with the guy who wants to overthrow the government. But his yep. dedication to the principles of the Constitution, even as a even as someone who agrees with this treaty, is what he is warring with inside of himself and what he cannot betray uh, in the long run because he does believe in the levers of power and the systems of check uh, the system of checks and balances. And this is also one of the most chilling portrayals that Burt Lancaster has ever done, who's who's always been one moment away from being a, a villain in every one of his movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, and certainly played a, not, a Nazi in Judgment at Nuremberg. But even in From Here to Eternity, he's a bit of an asshole as a military guy to Montgomery Clift 
and some of the things that he's putting him through. And so there are moments uh, throughout all of his movies where Lancaster has that ability to go harder edge. So to see him be this kind of a guy, and I tell you, the scene between him and the president, when the when Frederick March, who's all who's fantastic in the movie, he's great, right? He's so good. Yeah. I can't wait till we do the best years of our lives at some point down the road. But the back and forth between him and Burt Lancaster in that scene in the president's office there, it was chilling because that's a fun fantasy scene before last year. Yeah. Watching that scene now scares the shit out of me because there are people in government, a current government, who would absolutely sit in that position that Burt Lancaster was in with the kind of hubris the kind of arrogance, the kind of megalomania that a person would need to have in order to think that they are saving the Republic by destroying the principles that the Republic was founded on. And that is unsettling as hell to watch. And Frankenheimer does a great job. When you see Burt Lancaster approach the desk when he's talking about, I could be president tomorrow if I wanted to, there's a real fear that comes across you when you're watching that, especially given what's happened in our country the last few years. So I think Burt Lancaster is amazing in this yeah. movie. And and part of it is his just restraint. And yes. I think one of the interesting things about his character is I think there's no question in the film that General Scott is a great man. Mm-hmm. That that it's not bullshit that he is a he and we don't know what his military record was, we don't know what his accomplishments are, but right. my sense is that everyone and in particular Kirk Douglas's character admires the hell out of this guy is that that up until the point that you realize that he is trying to take over the government and i think when he says that he could you know walk out the door tomorrow and be president i think there's reason to believe that that's true you know right well and, and it's kind of similar right we hear that a president who has a 29 percent approval rating he's in this he's doing this treaty that is essentially should be a positive in that it's unilaterally um, uh, destroying the cold war by reducing the nuclear weapons on both sides, a war hawk, like Burt Lancaster's character, who is, um, Oh gosh, what is his name again? Oh uh, yeah. For air force general, James Mattoon Scott would look at that as a weakness. You're weakening America for its battle rather than understanding that this is the best thing overall for both sides, right? He's a war hawk. He thinks, just like that colonel did in the other film, in the failsafe from The Broken Family, that we must have the advantage over the Russians always. We must have the ability to destroy them. And look, his logic is not unfounded, uh, or unsound, rather, when he's there in front of the congressional inquiry talking about they have never adhered to any of these pieces of paper or treaties that, we, that we've done with them for years or for decades. Why would they do that now? You know, And so you understand his logic, as misguided as it may be, which I think is so great with a villain. You have to understand the logic of the villain uh, to make it work in a piece like this. And he, he does an excellent job because he disappears, Steve, for about an hour of the movie. Oh, when yeah. he comes back. He's there. And I will, I will kind of correct you a little bit. on We do hear what his military service is when that um, mm. Essentially, that Fox News host introduces him at that rally, right. saying that he is a he is a four star United States Air Force general who had won six Purple Hearts, two Distinguished Service Crosses, and the Medal of Honor. So we're aware of that, right? And even yeah. at the um, at the dinner with the senators, 
Kirk Douglas is one of the senators makes a joke about his Christmas tree ornaments on his chest. And he's like, you know, he pushes back on him for what the, the, those things actually mean to him. So there's a lot of the civilian versus military in seven days of May that I think is fun to explore as well. Well, so a bunch of things. One is, is that that's yeah. why I actually think pairing fail safe in seven days in May is like a perfect pairing. You're right. Because the president in seven days in May is trying to avoid the situation in fail safe. And the arguments. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. And the arguments of Walter Matthau are the arguments he would be for General Scott. Yes. You know. That they they are saying no, we cannot trust the Russians. We have to remain militarily strong. That's the, that's all it is. And the, and the thing too is the and then what you get, and this is what I really love about it is that to me it points out such an American, what I believe in Amer America is about, mm -hmm. which is that George Washington could have had a third term as president, yeah. and he chooses to step down and not run again, right? So that that will become the tradition the peaceful transition of power, the fact that the military is not supposed to be political and merely execute whatever the democracy, whatever our Republic has decided. Yeah. And that Jiggs, the Kirk Douglas character, that's what he believes in. I disagree with this president. I, I didn't vote for this president. I don't like this treaty. And yet I am going to go against the person I really admire because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and you see it happen uh um you see it take going stages, right? It's almost how can I say this? It's almost like a polite coup, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And certainly between Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster, you know, between Jiggs and Scott because they circle each other from the beginning of the movie. They seem to be in cahoots in terms of friendship, right? He's like yeah, you did a great job in front of the correctional. He's like, oh, well, then I should take you out for a drink. Well, I have to agree with you to go out for that drink. But we see the Richard, uh, what's the, I guess I was going to say Richard Goldman, but we see the the actor there who plays the guy from Six Million Dollar Man. He is, he has got the harder edge. He's monitoring. Yep. He's the aide to Scott. And he has suspicions about Jigs, which of course become true by the uh, near half the movie. But he is um, trying to keep Jigs separated from Scott or in, not as connected uh, and it's ironically that's what ends up leading to what it leads to down the road with with jigs figuring out what's going on i do think it's a little implausible that someone would write a whole detail down and just crumple it up and leave it on the desk yep that one that's probably the, right? that's the least good clue like all the stuff yeah. with the preakness all yeah, the stuff cool. with the senator show all that stuff well i love the kind of happy-go-lucky guy who's just accidentally sharing military secrets <laughs> and and then you're right the way that colonel uh richard anderson or whatever it comes yeah. at him is so and you see the wheels turning yeah. um the, I, I think all that and that's why yes it is slow as it's setting up yeah. but then when those wheels start turning it's really great and i think the scene where kirk douglas goes to tell the president yeah is such a fantastic and what i love his his awkwardness it's like i really don't want to do this yeah I don't want to say the thing I have to say out loud and the slow build to it. And what's so interesting. So in that scene, and I, I remember this, I think from Frankenheimer's commentary track is that mm -hmm. he staged it always in triangles so that there's always Kirk Douglas at the point of a triangle and the triangles moving around him because he wanted all that focus to always be on him. And that what he didn't do was there's no dolly moves in the, in the show, in that mm -hmm. scene. And there's no real close-ups until they force him to actually say, there's going to be a, 
uh, that General Scott is going to attempt a coup. And then the camera just pushes right in on his face as he turns into camera. And it's just like, that's when the movie like clicks. You know what I mean? Like was like, oh shit. Yeah. What did you think of the Ava Gardner Gardner plot line? Wow. Interesting. You know, because obviously knowing Ava through her film roles and then also through her, you know, torrid relationship with Frank Sinatra being a huge Sinatra fan. She was an interesting element of the movie because I guess when you're writing a script, you're like, okay, I'm going to have this character and there's going to be a little rotation. And then we're going to revisit that. Like, uh, I don't know, an hour later, hour and a half later. And it's going to be an integral part of the movie. Who do I cast to really play levels in the interactions right off the bat so that when we see them interact later on in the film, we've done the foundational work of establishing that this is a relationship that has been happening for a while between them as friends. They've known each other for a while. They've known each other. Yeah. Right. So then when you see them at, in the, in her apartment and he is essentially trying to get information from her, it's clumsy and it's awkward when he tries to kiss her and try, like, it's like weird that he would use that route or go that tactic. But something bigger is at play, which is the overthrowing of the United States government. So there's a there is this impetus to try the tactics. And then when she calls him out and then reveals all the stuff that she reveals, I think it's a great performance from her. It, kind of like Judy Garland in Nuremberg. It's a fantastic yeah. performance. And you this is why you cast a legendary actress like this who will come in and understand the drama. And I imagine she's probably relished the idea of being able to come in and play something like this. Uh, this late in her career. So so here's my question for you, since it yeah. was your first time watching the movie. Yeah. Is Jiggs attracted, actually attracted to her character? No, I don't think so. I think when he kisses her, I think when he comes close to her, I think he's still, and it's my interpretation, right? I think he's still figuring out the tactics to use and he is using what he can in those moments. I don't think it's, usage in a negative way although some people might see it that way and i can totally understand that i think it's a guy who's trying to figure out what tactic to use as a military guy to achieve the objective and he's initially using the kissing thing she resists then he comes up next to her and then eventually the opening up happens between both of them you know so so what's weird to me about it is mm -hmm. and and i think as i've thought about it a lot i think it's weird in a way that makes the movie so much better which mm -hmm. is that Kirk Douglas's character is is his whole motivation is I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to follow the rules right, right. rather than do what I believe in in terms of this treaty, which would be to support General Scott. Instead, right. I'm going to follow the rules. And then in and then the situation is so serious mm -hmm. that in order to follow the rules, I have to do this totally dishonorable, underhanded thing. Yeah, you know. So there's like a double reversal in there. And in my interpretation, watching it this time. I think he is actually, I think he always liked her, was mm -hmm. always attracted to her. Oh, okay. And that, and that, that makes it sort of a, a triple betrayal because it's a betrayal of himself and his mm -hmm. own possible hopes with her. I think it is a really interesting part of the film. Yeah. Um, and I think Ava Gardner is great in the mm -hmm. role yeah. and really great. Yeah. He almost, um, Lancaster almost wasn't in the movie, by the way. Um, mm. Because him and Frank Frankenheimer had had issues during the Birdman of Alcatraz, mm. and this film was produced with Kirk Douglas's produ production company, right? So kind of interesting that he didn't take the lead role. Well, I guess he did in a way, right? Because I mean, although Lancaster is the one initiating the coup and in charge of the coup and doing all these things, 
it's Jiggs who's who's the trying to solve the mystery the, in all of this, right? He's the central character, but for me, yeah. and in a lot of ways, this is an ensemble movie. Yeah, good point. You know, sure. because we go off. I mean, I, uh, we have to talk about <laughs> Senator Ray Clark, I Ed, mean, Edmund O'Brien, the great Edmund O'Brien. For those of you who remember White Heat, he is the lead in White Heat who betrays uh, James Cagney in the film. That is him. He is. I love him in this movie. Oh, he's great. The Southern accent, all of it, so yeah. good. Well, and him him going off to find this military base and then being locked in the room and then trying to get him drunk and all of the stuff that's going on. Yeah. And the and the very nice <laughs> colonel that's the buddy of Jigs that just disappears. I mean, there's just well, and that's why and, and then we go off and follow Martin Balsam to go meet oh, John Houseman. To John Houseman, right? Who isn't even credited. He's an uncredited in the original cast, he is not credited, and here he is playing the one person of the military that did not want to participate in the coup well and i think based on based on just his performance and what we know i think he chickened out i think he was going to participate and everyone expected him to and that's why when he doesn't put in his preakness bet it's it's uh, a shock you know are you saying that a vice president who doesn't overturn the elect uh, the electoral results because he doesn't see that it will actually work out. Are you saying that 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 can happen in a coup? Is that what you're saying? I, uh, I don't think I was saying that, but yes, <laughs> I do think that. <laughs> I mean, it, it, what's so funny, by the way, is the uh, the General Scott had a much better plan for a coup <laughs> than yeah. January 6th. That was not a good plan. Yeah, I don't think that was ever going to work. <laughs> Fair enough, but it was scary. Uh, well, no, I think. Well, I would disagree with you. I think J- January sixth would have absolutely happened if um, a certain if, if two things didn't stop it. I think Pence, and I also think what happened in Georgia. I think all those things were essential uh, because what a hundred plus Congress people wanted to revisit these electoral results and if it had been a republican congress i'm just saying i don't know that it wouldn't have happened and that scares the shit out of me to be honest with you which is why this film had more not because i prefer one or the other and i do but not because of that there is a rule of law and we must follow this rule of law and there is a tradition there are elections we have to respect that and that comes through in the movie in that ba- in that scene between uh, burt lancaster and frederick march He's saying to him, you want to fucking change shit in the country? Run. A year and nine months, you can run for president and do it your way. Have the nuts to stand up and deal with the election process instead of taking power like a fucking coward. Step up and deal with the thing that you want to protect. You claim you want to protect, but you're violating the system that we have set up in order to achieve, that our founding fathers set up in order to achieve power in this country to become president legally and with the mandate of the people. But he wants to violate it because his megalomania or his think his arrogance, his hubris thinking that he knows better for the American people than they do um, pushes him into this position. So I love the back and forth. It's such a rare back yep. and forth. Run. If you want to do it, run. I'm at 29%. You could probably beat me. Get out there yep. and campaign. Get out there and run. But he wants to take the easy way out by just taking power. Well, that's why that's why I think what's so interesting about these two movies is how 
Seven Days in May is they both have ideas. Obviously, yes. they both have emotional moments. But Seven Days has that intellectual element of that scene of yeah. discussing the politics without the major threat of like we're about to all die. Right. You know, which fail safe is has that emotional wallop. I also think just back to January sixth. I think we were chillingly cl close in terms of the number of people that were willing to vote for false elections. Yeah. What I don't think was a good plan was the riot. Like sending yeah. a bunch of crazies into the Capitol was actually didn't help to make that uh, happen. I don't think they yeah. anticipated that. And I think that's the, the big thing that happened that uh, removed the possible ability to, to, complete the coup because then you turn the public sentiment yeah. against that by seeing a bunch of stormed a, bu a bunch of people a bunch of unstable people storming a capital and defecating and on it or putting their feet on the desk or threatening the lives of these people with zip ties and weapons and guns and all these kinds of things yeah that that if if i think if that riot doesn't happen there's a very real possibility that we have a whole nother situation on our hands. Maybe. I, I, but yeah, yeah I, I think one of the reasons that Ge General James McToon Scott, I like how they continually repeat his three names. Yeah. Um, you know, look, there's no secret that I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. And so, I, you know, the fact that I'm about to say terrible things about him is because I think he's a terrible fucking person. Fair but enough. one of the things about him is that he is not a planner. He does not execute things well. Yeah. And he never has in his businesses. He's never executed things well. And that he wouldn't, he didn't really have a plan for overthrowing our government that may, that, that, whereas I think Mactoon Scott did, you know, yeah. uh, the, that's one thing. And, and I, I have to, uh, I see some comments that I have to disagree with because JMB divides us into two sides, one that cares and one that doesn't care. And right. that's what I was talking about when we were talking about failsafe yeah. is, is that just entirely demonizing another group of people, even though I strongly disagree with them, doesn't is, is exactly what the problem is that Walter Matthau has in failsafe for me. Yeah. And I think both sides have bad faith actors and I'm not saying both sides are equal, but I do think, no, I'm not, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. But certainly on one side, there are people in power who certainly, um, push an ideology or want to stay in power by, you know, um, speaking positively about someone who tried to overthrow the United States government. So I understand that. But there were Republicans in the most recent thing when they were trying to oust people from those committees who were vocal about how what a terrible precedent this is setting. And that every you know, when the Democrats get back, they're going to kick out Republicans from committees. There's there's a, there's a precedent that's being set. There was no reason to kick out those people from those committees other than political backlash, right? Yep. There were reasons to kick those Republicans out of the committees um, for two, four years ago because of the things that they were doing and the things that they were saying that were so detrimental, you know? So it's just very, very two different things. But there are bad faith actors on both sides. It's just a matter of like who really, who's really about the direction, the vision of the country and who's about forcing the people to accept a um, way forward for the country. And I think that's where you find the battles within this movie going on between the Burt Lancaster crew 
and the people on the other side. And I like that Jiggs is this guy in the middle. That's yep. so essential, Steve. It's what you're talking about. We have to find our way back to the middle because Jiggs agrees with the treaty, but he does not agree with Scott trying to take over the government in order to stop this treaty and enact his point of view. And I love what the president says to Scott at the end of their meeting. He says, how quickly do you think the Russians would attack us if you performed a military coup and turned this into a military-led country? They would attack us within hours, days, certainly weeks. And I think there's great logic in that. But he, Scott is so driven to just stop this treaty from happening and, and uh, convey power that he doesn't think about the long-term implications of the decisions that he's making here. And I'm really surprised that other members of the military who were going to go along with this, other members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who were going to go along with this, also didn't consider what the future would be, you know, because, well, yeah, sorry. No, no, nothing to be sorry about. What this is, this is what I mean. Like the yeah. we're so bad at prediction. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you know, you just go, oh well, I think that this treaty is wrong. Therefore, I'll take all the government and not think through all the stuff that might happen. Exactly. Um, back to January sixth briefly. The, the the what I will say too is like if all your news sources and your favorite leaders tell you there had already been a coup in yeah, the United yeah, yeah. States, right, right, the election right. was stolen, and therefore those things seem justified. Right. You know, because that's based on their belief system. That doesn't mean that they're evil, horrible monsters. Right. That means they've been consistently lied to and believed the lies because how, how else would they, you know, that's how you find out information. So right. they believed a bunch of stuff that wasn't true. The, it was so, and, and it is really, really hard when one side doesn't play by the rules to be jigs and keep yeah. playing by the rules. Yeah. You know, yeah. it gets real, it gets really, really tough. So this is, we're in tough situations today. Those are the, the heroic people, the people who are in a position to stop something from happening, even if they're going to turn over people who are in their own game, their own crew. You know, like Jiggs going to the president behind Scott's back. And this is the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, by the way. That's huge to tell the president that he thinks and the thing you mentioned the scene it's so great steve because even the president is like will you use english words for fuck's yeah. sake stop copping out on this tell me what you really think is happening and he puts and he finally puts it on the table and so i love that that it it, it pains him kind of like that colonel in in failsafe like it it, it, like it hurts yeah. him to be able to say these things because military men we are conditioned or we are trained to believe that the higher-ups uh, you know, know better, and we are also trained to believe that you know we are an arm of the of the civilian president. We are an arm of the president. The idea that you would think you need to take over that arm destroys the system of checks and balances in the country, and that's that's where it goes too far. And I like that the um, film explores that. But Steve, we should also talk about some of the chilling moments in the movie, right? As you said, I mean, Barth, Martin Balsam's character is killed, killed yep. in a plane crash. When he has the evidence of John Houseman's uh, uh, participation in the coup, he is killed. Uh, the senator who is being held there, Edmund O'Brien, is being held in that bunker. If it isn't for that favorable um, general or colonel coming down to talk to him who knows Jiggs, yep. he very well could have been stuck in there and the coup would have gone off. Mm -hmm. you know? So it, there are just some chilling moments that happen. Um, and them showing up, those two guys, uh, uh, goal, his, his uh, aide and 
the other guy who's the, I think the um, the columnist or the newscaster, whatever he is, the right wing guy, he, them being there at the fishing uh, at the same place where the president claimed he was going to be fishing. They were going to kidnap the president. And so yep. there is some very chilling stuff that happens throughout this movie um, that, you know, you can't tell me, oh, it's black and white. Why do I have to watch it? There's real shit that went on that is going on here in this movie well, that's scary to think about. The coup almost succeeds. Yes. I mean, it is yeah. real close to succeeding. And um and I think too, by the way, the the relationship with that colonel who finds the senator at the base, mm-hmm. that's also about loyalty. Yeah. Because of his right. loyalty to Jiggs, because he yep. trusts Jiggs and therefore he puts his career and life on the line yeah. in order to do this. Like every like and I even love the debates when they, they bring in the advisors and there's the people who just don't believe that this is real. Like, I don't believe this thing and the arguments about how you handle it. And you know, and also this is also definitely a movie, which makes me, I don't really want to be president. It's not, it just seems like a terrible, both of these movies. It's like, Oh, this this seems like a rough job. I mean, I'll do it. Uh, But yes, I understand. Yes. It's, it's, it's a lot to conceive of to think about and that's why it's important to have and like as we see in the movie important to have people you can trust when this coup thing starts to go down and the plan starts to get revealed to the president frederick march who as we both said did a wonderful job in the movie pulls people that he only he can trust into this circle and sends them out on separate missions to try to get evidence about this kind of stuff you know so and we're seeing and we see in the movie a senator is involved in this coup and three members of the of the of the military uh, that lead the military are involved in this coup as well. So it's scary. And then at the end, as you said, it almost happens. But at the end, they resign, which undercuts the power that Scott has. And he eventually acquiesces. But, you know, he initially tells the president, no way they'll resign. But then when they do from pressure from the president, he eventually you know gives in. So what do you think about that ending? Did you think it was a little... What's the word I'm looking for? Was it a little, little anticlimactic? Yeah, like- and uh, yeah. Well, I love the speech. I love the yes. speech the president makes. Oof. I like speeches, um, <laughs> and I think Serling does a great. Rod Serling does a great job writing it. Yeah. I like that a lot. I the the fact that he doesn't use the blackmail material. Yeah, I always am like, it surprises me that they succeed. You know, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. feels a little convenient that they actually do succeed in the end. Um, but I do really like it. And I also was thinking that, you know, this is a movie that's the Vietnam War is just getting started. Yes. Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah. You know, the 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 counterculture hasn't really risen up yet. And we're pre Watergate. And it's like, oh, this is a movie with two. These two movies have two admirable presidents. Yeah. Like presidents that are honorable, that are that care about America, that are desperately trying to do the right thing. And I don't know that we see that many presidents like that, maybe on Air Force One, you know, but like most of our images of politics post Watergate are more negative. Yeah, there are a lot of people from a certain generation who believe the country's never recovered from the Kennedy assassination. That was our chance to be, you know, uh, the shining, uh, what do they say, the shining kingdom on the hill or whatever they say, Yeah. Yeah, the shiny city on the hill, right? Um, And we lost it. Now, Accurate or not, that's up to you and your analysis of his presidency and how did he adhere to the things that he said he was going to do, but and you know, his philandering and what have you. But there were many people who believe that, and I think a lot of people felt like Obama was the next closest thing 
Some people felt Clinton was for sure. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting thing because you're right. Right before we get the betrayals, and look, I think it's very fascinating too because a lot of people felt like the Kennedy thing that that conspiracy theory is still something people talk about. Oliver Stone did a whole movie about it, and still ardently believes there was in essence a version of a coup there um, to put uh, Lyndon Johnson in power, which I don't believe. But no, I don't either. Yeah, but like there were accusations, and certainly that was going on during the time that this film was going on. So the idea that a coup could occur in this country becomes something that was now in the pop culture mainstream as a possibility, because there were so many people talking about a possible conspiracy theory back then to kill president Kennedy, to put Johnson in charge and put the military back in charge and in control of the government. Yeah. I, 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 there's, by the way, there's a new book by a guy who knew Lee Harvey Oswald. Ooh and was friends with him and basically didn't tell anyone in his life. Like he was interviewed by the Warren commission and yeah, then yeah. kept it a secret because his whole family didn't want to be associated with that. Wow. And now I guess the guy's in his seventies or eighties and he's finally written a book about Lee Harvey Oswald and what he knew about him. Yeah. Um, and I heard him interviewed and he says that there was no conspiracy. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, see, there we go. I don't know what more people need to hear. God's do sense. we have more Streamlabs or? Oh uh, yeah, we do have a couple. Let's roll through them. Uh, Justin Toner says, "Hi, John and Steve. A great double feature discussion today with these two films. I have seen Failsafe once long ago, but never seen Seven Days in May. We'll have to fix that. Yeah, you will, Justin. Please watch it. Take our recommendation. Failsafe is on Blu-ray from Criterion, so it's sitting right here. I have the Blu-ray for Failsafe, so we'll try to remember to buy it. Thank you for this show. Um, thank you." And and uh, and when you when, if you do get a chance to watch Seven Days in May, let us know what you think. We'd yeah, love to hear. Absolutely, JMB sending in some more here, saying, "What do you guys think are the modern or contemporary counterparts of these two movies?" Ooh, I feel like Crimson Tide and Watchmen duplicate some of the elements. There, there's a whole bunch. Mm. Definitely Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide is we wow. have some kind of an error, and what's interesting is like with Failsafe's approach to it is. Wow. That guy's going to follow orders. The colonel who is the flying the plane is not going to question it. Crimson Tide is, what if we have a disagreement? in the? And I love Crimson Tide. I've said it many times. Mm-hmm. I think Watchmen definitely does. I think War Games definitely inherits something right. from Failsafe. I mean, that's the techno. And you got to go even to the Terminator movies. Mm-hmm. Because the Terminator movies is, again, the idea of trusting technology too much that causes a war. You know? Yeah. I, what about Seven Days in May? Is there a, Have there been coup films wasn't uh, um, present danger wasn't he trying to yeah know, kind of maybe yeah i mean there's I, i'm trying to think of i mean I, certainly there have been movies that have looked into the underbelly of america and asked some oh. of those questions about but but i don't know that there's been and it's interesting too by the way because they're both fail safe and seven days in may remakes wait um we did a watch along of air force one and that True. is an attempted coup, in essence, that. Air Force One, right? Is it an attempted? I don't think it's an attempted coup. Is it? They're not trying to take over the, the government. Service guy is working with the guy to get oh. the president right to kill the president, isn't he? Right, isn't but assassinating the president isn't necessarily a coup. They're not trying to take over the government. You, you what? Well, yes. <laughs> so, what do you think would happen? After well, they kill the president, they're just going to be okay with Glenn Close becoming president? Who's going to stop Glenn Close from being president? Xander Berkeley. 
and Gary this, Oldman, I would imagine. How are they going to take over the government? I th- I, that's a good question. How were they? Yeah, going I don't to think it's a government? coup. I mean, Lee Harvey Oswald kills Kennedy, but that's not a coup unless the unless Johnson is connected. Hmm. You know, I have to think about this more. Maybe. Okay. Maybe like we need idea. to do a, do another deep dive into Air Force One and maybe to try short, to really figure this out. Short. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think of uh, other films that could be coup. Was there an was there an attempt to coup with the American president? No. 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 Just an election. Okay. That is another positive version of the presidency, though. That's true. Um, hmm. And that's a movie I like uh, a yeah. lot. I'm looking through some of these movies, trying to think if there's any, or trying to see if there's any of them that are necessarily coups. Uh, but no, I guess not. Is Manchurian Candidate kind of a coup, or is they trying to set him up to take over no. the presidency? Yes, down the road? that is definitely, yeah, because he, okay. the president's going to get assassinated and this guy's going to become president. Yeah. That's, that definitely is. Um, I got there. I got there. Yeah, go ahead. What? It, well, it's funny because that's Frankenheimer. I have I like Manchurian Candidate. I have never loved it as much okay. as many people do. I don't know how you feel about it. But you haven't seen it in decades, right? Probably. It's probably 20 years. I worked on I remember I, when I had the DVD job, I did the DVD. Mm. So I watched it a bunch back then. Oh, fair enough. Well, yeah. Maybe it would be different as we're older now. Maybe it would strike us differently. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I agree with you. I didn't think it was that thrilling of a film. But certainly some of the scenes in that film were great scenes. Yeah, yeah. I like this JMB said Alan Rickman was trying to take over President Nakatomi's building. That's for sure. That was a good yep. one. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, there we go. That's our discussion. I think an hour and a half is good enough on these. Steve, is there any more, anything more you want to say on these? I just want there to be more stories like this. You know, that's these these are the movies that Hollywood doesn't make. Um, I would yeah. like to see more things like this that actually and but you know what? I, I'm gonna say it even stronger. I think America needs more things like this because we actually should be engaging in the conversation about what does it mean to have a government what does it mean to be loyal to the government what does it mean to follow the rule of law what is the responsibility of the military how do we deal with technology that's rising and how is it dangerous these are important questions that we need to be asking and we are not doing it in the film world right now i agree i agree we need to stop being afraid of these subjects that we were so willing to talk about decades ago now all of a sudden we're afraid to bring this stuff up in movies it needs to be brought up more it needs to be discussed more it needs to we need to start making films like this more because this is you know it's important stuff that we need to be aware of and the general public needs to be educated on as well yep. so yeah it's important and and i just came up with a contemporary movie that does deal with this stuff that i can't believe neither of us thought about right away which is captain america the winter soldier oh right yes robert redford's character trying to take yep. over yes the government and Good Captain points. America being the person that's trying to follow the dream yep. up against the forces that want to control the government. Yeah. yeah. And even a little shadiness with Nick Fury in that movie as well. Yeah. Yep. Well, I like Absolutely. this. Justin Toner saying White House Down was a coup attempt. All right. Yes. I forgot that one. Or Killmonger's coup and Black Panther. Sure. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, although he had a rightful uh, claim to the throne, to fight for the throne. So I don't think it was much of a coup. He had a rightful claim. So, well, um, it's still I a coup. Well, I'm, I'm, well, actually. No, because it's within their rules. Yes. He's following. They He followed the rules. He challenged the dude. Man, the that, dude yeah. the challenge. Not a coup. Not, Not a, a coup. coup. Um, all right. Let's get out of here. Thank you very much uh, to everybody who joined us here today. We appreciate it. Thanks for the Streamlabs. Thanks for the Super Chats. Uh, and thanks for the lively chat here uh, that we had throughout. Well, I wasn't sure if people were going to show up for this discussion. So the fact that we had a lively chat and a number of you showing up for us, that means a lot. Please remember to subscribe to the channel. Ladies and gentlemen, it's so important to subscribe. For those of you who are watching now, for those of you who are going to watch this later, 
subscribe to the channel. We've got to get our numbers up on the YouTube side of things. It's going to make us more attractive to jump to other uh, levels in the uh, progression of this show. So I can't, we can't encourage you all enough to please subscribe down below and hit that bell button. Cause uh, Steve and I are kicking around the idea of doing much more content on YouTube. So just letting you know that it will be well worth your subscribe button, uh, subscribe decision. If you subscribe down below and hit that bell button, hit a like on this video and leave a comment, letting us know how we did and uh, what you thought about this discussion. And if we missed anything on these two movies, Steve, what else do we have to tell? Well, we could tell them that they can follow the cinephiles at cine underscore files on Twitter, the cinephiles podcast on Instagram. And while you subscribe to this YouTube channel and you like the show here, you should also go subscribe to us somewhere else like Apple Podcasts and uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can support the show at patreon.com slash the cinephiles, where I believe in the next couple of days, maybe we are going to do a watch along. Should I announce what our watch along is? Sure, please. Our next watch along is one of my absolute favorites and John's too, which is my favorite year. Uh, and it is a fantastic, wonderful look back at a very special era of TV with an amazing performance from Peter O'Toole. And we're going to be watching that in the next couple of days. I believe it's the $10 and above level that, yes. can, that can, can get those watch alongs. So definitely check that out. And you can buy or stream seven days in May and fail safe at cinephiles.net. Absolutely. Uh, Oh, and I still do a Star Trek show. We're doing the animated series, Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. There you go. And one more thing. For those of you who are patrons, um, we are doing our second part two recording of Reservoir Dogs. So if you are at the $10 level and you haven't sent in your questions for Reservoir Dogs, do it before Tuesday sometime in the afternoon so that we might choose it to read during our discussion uh, of Reservoir Dogs. So just letting you all know that that is out there. Uh, as for me, you can follow me at the Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, the Outlaw Nation on Twitch, my own YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca says, and my other podcasts, uh, The Geek Buddies, The Hot Mic, um, and Top 10 for as long as it's around for another two or three weeks. We'll be fine. All right, we're out of here. Thank you all so much. We appreciate it madly. Y'all take care of yourselves. So it's a great Sunday, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new episode of The Cinephiles. Peace. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park